JJ, have you seen this new horror movie called The Piney? <laughs> no, I'm not a big horror fan. So I'm I, not I, a horror I, fan either, but this is the best horror movie I've ever seen. It really? may be the best horror movie ever made. Really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's about this guy who's pining to write a book. Like he's pining away uh-huh. to write a book. So it's about the urge to write a book. Yep. And he ends up getting this job where he takes his family up to this lodge, uh-huh. this big, you know, resort thing, and yeah. it's in the winter, and so they're the yeah. winter caretakers of the lodge, and he's writing the book at the lodge and he goes <laughs> crazy. He goes crazy, he starts to haunt his family <laughs> while he's pining away to write this book. Wait, wait, what is this called? The Pining. It's called The Pining. It's called The Pining. You know that sounds eerily similar to another movie that is a very popular horror movie. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) This one's called The Pining, and it's the most amazing horror movie I've ever seen. Okay. And I've got a movie trailer for you. Really? (laughs) I do. I I happen to... Happen to find it. Okay. I happen to find it, and I want to play it for you and All our right. podcast listeners I because we are a, we're about story, uh-huh. and this is a beautiful story. Here's the okay. radio trailer. Jack and his family scored the vacation of a lifetime. What do you think, Wendy? Such a beautifully rustic hotel. Do you like it, Sophie? Yes, mommy. They'd be the winter caretakers of Timberlake Lodge, high in the snow-covered Rockies. And with nobody here to bother us, I can finally finish my book. If my family stays out of my hair. But writing in seclusion can be deadly. Mommy, why did Daddy bring a chainsaw to dinner? Jack, for the love of God, carved a turkey with a knife. You're scaring her, Jack. This book is making you mad. Jack isn't finished. Not even close. I'm gonna read it, Jack, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Wendy. Oh, Wendy. Wendy! The book Jack was writing is called Building a Story Brand, using the pen name Donald Miller. It's a book telling businesses how to clarify their message, so customers will listen. He wrote it after hearing voices. Clarify your message, Jack. This is a very good business book, honey. If we apply these principles, we could keep the lodge open year-round. And with people here all the time, you wouldn't go crazy. Jack did apply his own principles, and soon Timberlake Lodge became a destination for Jack's new writing academy. And all you have to do, class, is listen for the voices. What great thing will happen to you after reading Building a Story Brand? Available October 10th. But Professor Jack, what if you don't hear voices? <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and amazing. here's what's. I mean, yeah. <laughs> is that really where we're going? Here's what's with incredible. This one? Hollywood uh-huh. is beginning to discover my new book even before it's out. Re- yeah, I'm because picking it's making that up. its way I'm, into these It's scripts. so subtle. Like, it's very subtle. What I appreciate is the subtlety of it. <laughs> and it just so happens that you can pre order the book right now. If you pre order Building a Story Brand, you get it October 10th, right? If you pre order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you can get it. But we obviously have a deal for you if you pre order it. Yeah. If you pre order it right now, our publisher has actually released they first they released a thousand copies those went really quick and now they've released a bunch more because people quite frankly are emailing us and saying I want one I want one so you're going to get Unreal. one go to amazon.com go to barnesandnoble.com pre-order the book when you get the receipt forward that receipt to book at storybrand.com that's book at storybrand.com we will get your mailing address and we will send you a paperback copy of the book 
now. We will literally send you the ARC, the advanced reader copy, a paperback version. So you get that now. And then months from now, October 10th, you actually get the book. Here's who the book is for. The book is for anybody who has a company or who works for a company who does any sort of marketing and they're frustrated. They're actually sitting there saying, I don't know how to explain to customers what I do. Our website is really jumbled. We don't have a marketing plan. We've got everything in place. We have a great product, but we can't seem to get it into the market. This is a plan. It makes everything very simple. It's exactly what I did, JJ. This is what we did to take the company from a quarter million to 3.6 million in three years without spending a dime on marketing. We will go from 3.6 million to 6 million this year. And all I'm going to do is exactly what's in that book. which is one, clarify my message, and then two, create five pieces of marketing collateral. Five, that's it. And they work fantastic. It so you're grow- saying if people are pining to grow their business, they're they pining, should- <laughs> If they're pining to grow their business, and if and they're going go crazy, crazy <laughs> you need this book. And I'm so grateful that people are going to get it months in advance because, it, quite honestly, it's like medicine for a toothache. And I know how it feels to struggle with, with your marketing plan, and I know how it feels to really waste a bunch of money and be frustrated when you create a piece of marketing collateral that doesn't work. That needs to end. That's ridiculous. It's a ripoff, and it's driving you nuts. The solution is not that hard, and it's in this book. So go get Building a Story Brand off Amazon or Barnes & Noble. When you get your receipt, forward that receipt to book at storybrand.com, and we will send you a paperback right away, and you'll get the hardback on October 10th. And you can hand the hardback to another person, or you can hand the paperback to somebody else. This is going to be a lifesaver for some of you. You know, we deal with 3,000 clients every year who come to us and say, I'm so confused, and they leave us, and they're not confused anymore. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's just as beautiful as Jack's story (laughs) in The Pining. which is maybe the second greatest movie ever after The Baker Who Wanted to Be a Spy. Mm, mm-hmm, but that's mm-hmm. a tie. To me, it's yes. a toss-up. <laughs> anyway, go buy the book. Forward your receipt to book at storybrand.com. You're going to love it. All right, JJ, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. Beautiful interview we've got today. Yes. The thing that I love about Ann Byler, who runs Annie Ann Pretzels and started it and the whole thing and scaled this thing up to over 2,000 stores, in this interview is her incredible vulnerability. Yeah. And we were talking before the interview, before we started recording this intro, about, you know, what stuck out to you. Yeah. And what stuck out to me, there are a couple things. One was keep going. Yeah. Like don't quit. Yeah. Literally, I mean, don't quit life. Don't quit the business. Don't quit on you. You know, keep going. That only works if you do the second thing, and that's get help. Yeah. Because what we're talking about today is depression, dark moments, life not working out the way you thought it would, yeah. all those kinds of things. I mean, you and I have talked. Yeah, yeah. We've been out by the fire pit pretty late. Yeah. You've been through some dark stuff. Yeah, it, you know, people think depression is kind of like just feeling sad. And there's it's so much more to it than yeah. that. And you get in this place where you just feel like you can't move. It's less about like just feeling sad and crying all the time, although that can be part of it. But you really get to a place where you feel stuck. You feel absolutely stuck that there is some kind of shade that's blocking the sun that's supposed to be coming in. Everybody else gets it, but you're not. And really some of the things for me that 
even just helped was literally getting out of bed or walking outside. Right. It's that idea of taking the next step and moving going. forward, yeah. no matter where you're at and reaching out and actually being able to ask people for help and say, hey, I got to share something with you because I'm not doing great and invite them into that and have them even take the step with you when you can't take it for yourself. Yeah. The hardest thing about those seasons of life, and I've only had one real one, but the hard thing for me was all my reasons were gone. My reasons for getting out of bed. My reasons for working hard. The brain just convinced me there are no reasons. Yeah. So now you got to do things with no reason to keep doing them. Yeah. And every day I'd just get up. I did what you said. I'd get up. I'd yeah. go outside. I'd go to work. And sooner or later, you meet somebody or you, you end up getting some help or somebody says something or you, and you slowly find your reasons again. Yeah. And that's the journey that Ann Byler went on. And we're talking about a business success here. Yeah. And but, we're kind of, I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't want to be too much of a downer in this part, you know, know, like, yeah, yeah. because the reality is her story is actually really hopeful. No, super hopeful. It's more than just like, oh, you're sad or dealing with depression, but it really is this, there is hope and there is joy and there is the ability to impact the world that goes beyond your day-to-day tasks. And when you listen to the interview, she talks about how she found those meanings. Yeah. She found her role in life. She yep. found her role in her marriage. You know, not that the end result is we all make millions of dollars, but yeah. now she's making millions of dollars, a very, very healthy CEO of well, a successful And it's company. not just make, I mean, she never set out to make money. It was about impacting the world. She wanted to be able to give back. It's an amazing yeah, it's interview. it's a good interview. She's yeah. also a good book. She wrote a book called Twist of Faith and uh, came out several years ago. Yeah. But it's kind of how we found out about her. And one of the reasons I was excited to have her on the show is because it's rare to meet a CEO who is doing this well, who will talk about past depression and things that they yeah. went through. You know, a lot of people, when you At put least a publicly. microphone on them, they don't do it. Yeah. And does. Yeah. And so it's a great interview. And I think you're going to learn a lot. I think you get a lot of hope as you listen yeah. to her. Here's my interview with Ann Byler. Ann, thanks for joining us on the Building a Story Brand podcast. Thank you for having me, Don. Well, I'll tell you what. I was just in D.C. last week, and something familiar happened to me. I was walking out of my hotel, trying to find something to eat, found myself wandering into this below-ground mall, (laughs) and I was lured by my nose around several corners to your pretzel shop. (laughs) (laughs) That's very intentional. (laughs) We do that. (laughs) And there was a long line of people, and uh, I I went under your spell, and I want to talk about where that spell comes from. Mm, You've got a book out called Twist of Faith, and it's all about the story of Auntie Anne's pretzels. You get vulnerable in here, and we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, You've got some great business lessons. You've got some uh, huge decisions that you had to make in growing your business. You know, it's rare to find a a sort of business biography that's uh, an informative read, helps you grow your business, but really fun to read. And yours Mm, is both. One thing that struck me as I read it was uh, only an eighth grade education. Uh, That's the case. And if you read my book, you'll you'll see very quickly, I grew up in the Amish culture in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I, I'm not a high school dropout, Don. So, so <laughs> that's you know just that. like the, that's where it ended. <laughs> so that's just the Amish culture. You go through eighth grade, and then you go to work on a farm and go help make money somewhere, get a job to uh, support the family. I'm yeah. going to come back to that in a second because I want to know what you learned in your Amish upbringing in that culture. But I also want to know. I'm just curious. I mean, I remember not having really gone to college. I audited a bunch of classes to read college, and then. One night was delivering a lecture at Harvard University, and it suddenly struck me as I walked across the campus that 
I never went to college. <laughs> I got really nervous. And I'm wondering, was there ever some like uh, self-doubt? Um, so was there ever a, a doubt in my mind? Of course. I think the fear factor, you know, really almost stopped me dead in my tracks when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And uh, these people know much more than I do. All of them have a, you know, high school, uh, college degree. And there was a moment in time when it almost swallowed me, the intimidation Hmm. factor, the fear of all of that. How many stores were you in when you thought, oh my goodness, I'm out past my comfort zone here? Probably about 20. (laughs) Well, yeah, 20 is a lot though. I mean, I know you're in 2000, but 20 is more than you can manage. You you can't watch the shop if you have 20. No, that's exactly right. And, And Don, the only way to grow your business is to delegate and as a uh, little Amish girl, eighth grade education, I knew nothing about delegation, but I knew mm. all about hard work. And I knew that if I was going to make it work, that I was going to have to pull a team beside me, with me, to help me do this daunting task. First, we had two stores, and then my husband and I built 12 more alone mm. uh, in 1989. And then 1990, we built about 40 stores, and then I hired three people. And, you know, on the farm, you really do learn the benefits of team building. And you're not really building a team, but you just understand that if you're going to get the work done, you really need to work together. There was eight of us kids at home. And so I really took that very simple approach, Don, and I learned very quickly. I needed really, really good people around me. I needed people around me that knew more than I did about the business world because I knew very little. As we all scale up our businesses and a bunch of listeners are are scaling up businesses there's a phase in, in business where pretty much you're hiring good folks that are around you that you know, and then you realize they don't know any more than you do, and now you got to go find somebody <laughs> who knows. But now you don't know this person that you're hiring. You don't know if they're a good person. You don't know if you can trust them. How did you come to figure out the right person to hire? Well, you know, a lot of it is trial and error early yeah. on, but as you go on, it becomes very clear what kind of a person are you looking for. And for us, if it was clear Coming from the Amish background, we thought the whole world was Amish. You know, I mean, it was it was kind of it was kind of a rude. Little did you know that uh, it's all Southern Baptist out there. Oh my goodness! (laughs) (laughs) But what was startling to me uh, was the fact that there's so many people that that really don't have a work ethic, and so we began to look for people that can really embrace our values and embrace our work ethic. And that's what we began to look for. And um, there were different ways we went about doing that. But it was for the first probably three or four years, uh, it took us a while to really understand and choose those kind of people for our company. But in time then, we actually did the Myers-Briggs personality profile. And we did a number of things that in our interview process, we were not looking for a body to fill up the office space. We were looking for people with integrity, with a work ethic, people with a teachable spirit. And uh, that really became our model as far as hiring concerns. We call that humble but hungry. That's one of our core values is you got to be humble, but you got to be hungry. Absolutely. What did you learn in your Amish upbringing there in Lancaster? What values did you get from that life that you took into scaling up a company as big as yours? There's so many things, you know, you do take your culture is who you are, really. So I think one of the best ways to describe it was my dad. I grew up in the task-oriented era. Yeah. It was really all about task. 
it was all about seeing the work and getting it done. Mm. And so as an entrepreneur, I never really thought about, oh, I want to have my own business so I can have lots of money one day and have a nice big car and a big house. But we were truly felt called, like we believe that God created Auntie Anne's as a vehicle to give philanthropically. So we knew wow. that was our purpose. That was your why we're in this. We're going to be generous with what God gives us. Absolutely. And so we never thought about, oh, we're going to make lots of money and you know have a good life. It was all about you got to get up every morning and do the work because we knew that we had a task that was so daunting because we come from a farm. We didn't know anything about business. So we really took the task-oriented approach and realized that this is a task that we must do well. Hmm. We cannot skimp. We have to do it to the best of our ability. And that really became our model. You know, we didn't really preach this at, at our, our workplace, right. but my husband and I, in our own life, we were sincere about, are we doing this well? And I remember, Don, we had about 50 stores and I remember telling my husband, I cannot do this. I can't do this anymore. Mm. I, there's just no way. And my pastor came to me one day and he said, so how are you doing today? And I, I was so stressed out. I was visiting all the stores. I was training all the people. I was being at every store opening and I was committed to my people done. I wanted yeah. to be in touch with the people who were building the company. Mm. And uh, so when he asked me that question, I said, man, I'm not doing very well. And I just began to sob. And he said, what is it that you're feeling? And I just said, I can't do this. I cannot go any further. And he said to me, what is your gift? And now I'm 45 years old. I had no idea what my gift or my talent was. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what my gift is. And he said, you don't know what your gift is? And anyway, we went on to talk about that. And he, at that time, really helped me understand my gift was inspiring people. Hmm. And he said, instead of doing, you need to be. Hmm. And your gift is inspiring. And so whatever you do in the company, make sure that you're inspiring people and start being rather than doing all the tasks. Well, that really set me up, Don, to become a leader, which yeah. I didn't know I was a leader. I thought I was a manager, hmm. which takes me into another point, which I read an article at that time. It's called Management Versus Leadership. And up until then, I really thought I was a manager. And when I read that article, it was clear to me that I am a leader rather than a manager. And I began to just do business very differently. At that point, I began to hire people to do things that I just didn't have time to do or things that I didn't want to do yeah. because I didn't have time. I began to focus on inspiring people uh, in every department of the company. And I read a book on Abe Lincoln on leadership. He was dubbed with an MBWA, managed by walking around. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what I did. I didn't feel like at the time it was very beneficial or productive. But years later, when I read that book, I realized, wow, that's what I did because I wanted to be with my people. And they must have loved you for that. You know, at the time, it was a natural for me, and I didn't realize the power of it. But it really, when you uh, care about your people, they care about your purpose and your, uh, your values. I mean, uh, you don't have to tell them to do anything. They just care. If they know that you care about them, they will they care about, care about yeah. you. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of my interview with Ann Byler. 
All right. It's another segment of the Marketing Mythbusters with my guest, Kula Callahan. Hi, Don. Kula is a facilitator. She travels all over the country and works with companies to help them clarify their message. She does a day and a half workshop. You enjoy those? I love them. I know you love them. And everybody always writes us and says how great you are. It's really fun. And yet every time you go, you see companies that believe in myths. They and have you, and fallen you, victim <laughs> to fallen the victim. marketing myths. They believe things that aren't true. That if they do these things and pay for them, they will get a return on their investment and they won't. And so every week we just have you come in and say, here's a myth that people believe and we're going to bust it. What myth are we busting this week? Building a giant email list will grow your business. But of course it will. No, it if won't, I have a Donnie. billion email addresses, then my business is a guaranteed success. Wrong. A billion is a lot. I mean, you got to admit. That's- it is a lot, but I still think you're wrong. Really? Why? Yes. Because building a concentrated email list of highly qualified leads is actually the best way to grow your business. When you say highly marketing. concentrated, you mean like people who are actually interested in your product? That's right. So 10,000 highly qualified leads that you know are looking for what you offer as a way to solve a need that they have is significantly more valuable than a list of 100,000 people who aren't interested at all in what you have to offer. You know what? You're winning me over here because I remember a conversation I had with a guy who had this huge online summit and thousands and thousands of people signed up for the online summit. Of course, he's just trying to get their email addresses. And then he started marketing to them and he didn't sell anything. And I thought, how? You got, you know, I don't know, 100,000 email addresses and he hardly sold anything. And it's because none of those people were actually interested in the product he was going to sell. They just wanted that free thing. And the free thing wasn't associated with the product. So he didn't get hot leads. He got cold leads. Is that what you mean? Exactly. And I bet that's costing him a lot of money. It did. Because it's expensive to manage a list of that many leads and conversion rates are probably abysmal. Plus the summit that he did, he, he picked the wrong topic. He didn't pick a lead generator that would get him very hot leads. Right. So on that note about lead generators, being very strategic and specific with the lead generators that you offer on your website need to speak to how your products can solve pain points that your customers deal with. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. People don't want to sign up for your newsletter. Same concept applies here. So you want to be very specific with the lead generator you offer so that you'll know that those people who opt in for that resource have that problem that you can solve. So you can then on-ramp them to becoming paying customers and the likelihood of them converting is significantly higher than someone who downloads something that has nothing to do with what you offer. Right. Well, that's good advice. And the closer you can get that lead generator to being something that is akin to the problem you solve and the product you sell, the better you're going to do. So as an example for this, StoryBrand has a lead generating PDF we offer called Five Things Your Website Should Include. And Mm -hmm. this does a great job for us of qualifying leads because we know that the people who download that PDF have problems with their website. Yeah, they have a website. They have agency over fixing their website. They have some sort of business. They have product they're trying to sell. They wouldn't be giving us their email address if they didn't. Exactly. So we can be very targeted in our messaging to those people around how to fix their website. That same PDF that performs really well for us would perform really poorly for a company who that does Facebook ads. <laughs> or that sells pet care. <laughs> so being really specific with that problem that you solve with your customers for your lead generating PDFs will create an email list that will convert higher. Yep. I don't know if you know this. We've actually sent out emails to our list saying, if you don't want to hear from us anymore, unsubscribe. Yes. And we went from 140,000. We're probably back there now, but we went from 140,000 to 110,000 on our list. And our list performed better. We dropped 30,000 people on our list and it performed better. I usually tell people, don't fear the unsubscribe. Don't. You want the unsubscribe. Don't look at that number. Look at your sales. Don't look at how (laughs) many email addresses you have. Look at your sales. 500 hot leads will outperform 10,000 cold ones. Absolutely. So get hot leads. 
Kula, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Listen, if you want more marketing tips, go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. That's 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. You can either use the number or spell it out, 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. I've got three five-minute videos that are chock full of tips and strategies for clarifying your message, creating better marketing collateral, and getting customers to finally listen to you. It is one of the best free offers we've ever made. Just go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. One of the groups of people that you care about a lot, you talk about this in your book, is that, you know you say you want women to be free from blame and shame, women specifically, yeah. to find their purpose, especially if it's in business. What drives you to help women find their purpose in life? Well, because at the age of 35, I thought life was over for me, and that was um, five years before Aunt Deanne's was even on the scene. So I'd gone through my own troubles, the death of our daughter. Mm-hmm. took me into deep despair. The abuse of our pastor took me into deep darkness. Mm. And by the age of 35, I was riddled with guilt uh, and shame and pain. And um, I really lived a life of blaming everybody else for my problems mm. and uh, didn't understand that my response to all that happens to me is my only responsibility. Mm. And instead I was blaming and blame was taking me into a deep pit uh, of darkness that I had never experienced. And I stayed in that for about 10 years of just completely, um, I was a pretty bad mom and I was an emotional wreck. So 10 years of my life were very dark and very despairing and uh, suicidal Hmm. and uh, about 25 years of depression from all of that. So I see the as I go out there and speak to women at conferences and even in corporate settings, women, uh, many of them are stuck in a place of darkness and they yeah. really don't know how to get out. And so my message to women is how to overcome pain, blame, and shame. And what is the key to letting go of the past? What do you got to do? Being real. Being honest, being true, being real, being vulnerable, being authentic. Everything that you model, by the way, in this interview and in your book. Yes, it's the power. I call it the power of confession. And confession sounds like a subjective word, but it really, it's, it really sets a person free uh, when you become authentic. But and this is this is very different way of doing things for most leaders, especially a company the size of yours. I mean, to talk about twenty five years of depression and being suicidal and blaming other people. Not a lot of leaders will talk about, even if it's in their past, will talk about those things. Why is that for you the key to freedom? Because where I lived was very dark. Yeah. So for me, the only way to overcome that was to be real. I never want to go back to that place again. And Mm. I also, because of my past, I understand that the only way to true freedom and to live a life of fulfillment is to live it authentically. And when you live an authentic life, you don't have to look over your shoulders. You don't have to wonder what someone's going to say about you. Yeah, you're not caught in a trap pretending to be somebody that you're not. You never have to perform. Absolutely. There's so many pretenders. They just pretend everything's okay in business, in the churches, in our schools, in our communities, and we're tied up in knots. And I share my story because I want people to understand you have a voice And whatever is in your past, uh, if it's not revealed, it cannot be healed. And if we are not healed, we will never fulfill to the fullest extent the purpose for which God created us in the beginning. I find it interesting because you're making some parallels here between you getting healthy 
and the business growing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> do you, do you, have oh. you made that connection yourself? <laughs> There's a few key steps that I took that if I would not have taken them, I would have lost everything. No doubt about it. What are they? Can you share a little bit about that? Well, there was a point in time, uh, 1995, and the business was going strong. And we had about, I would say, maybe 400 locations, maybe. And um, I really came to a dead end. I was just caught up in the pain of my past. And uh, the business was so intense, I began to feel controlled Hmm. by the business. Hmm. And it brought up all of my past feelings of being controlled by my uh, abuser. I didn't connect the two at all. It sounds strange, maybe talking about this on a (laughs) business podcast. No, No, you're great. We're all humans. But I realized that I was feeling controlled by something that was much bigger than I was. And I did not like the feeling of being controlled because now I had a team around me that was running business, pretty much calling the shots. We had team meetings every Monday. I was very um, engaged in all of the decisions, but as you grow, you have to change your way of thinking on some things. And the team made some choices about things that I kind of wanted to go another way or whatever. But at the end of the day, I felt very controlled by the whole company. Hmm. So at that point, I almost walked away from my husband, Hmm. from my business, from my children. I wanted to start a new life somewhere Hmm. else, somewhere. It was too much. At that time, if I would not have gone for uh, outside counseling and started a medication, I was sick. I was in bed a lot, but I would get up every morning and go to work, mm, <laughs> push yeah. right through all of it. That Amish upbringing just kept, <laughs> yeah, kept you going. Absolutely. But anyway, the point is I began to understand the power of freedom through being real. Yeah. So I know there's business people out there feeling the stress of the business, but then you add on top of that the stress of their own personal lives with the guilt of the past. Mm-hmm. It's more than most people can bear. Yeah. Well, you got yourself together, and as you did, the company started growing. And I thought this was yes. a really funny little part of the book here, page 68 and 69. You talk about just before scaling up the company, your sisters and you were doing well. The people are attracted to your energy They love visiting the store. And then you say on page 69, the second main thought in my mind at the end of those first few weeks almost makes me laugh when I think about it, considering the fact that I ended up building the largest soft pretzel chain in the United States. The pretzels we made during those first few weeks tasted horrible, and I couldn't wait to stop selling them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And everything after that is a dramatic success. So my question for all of business leaders is talk to me about being obsessive about improving your product and scaling up your business. Inside, you're getting more healthy. You've taken some steps to do that. You're being authentic. And now you're actually able to say, okay, my customers deserve a better tasting pretzel than this. How'd you fix the problem and scale up? Well, I, you know, growing up in the Amish farm, again, I was the baker in the house and there was 10 of us in our home. And so I always knew when something was very tasty and very good. And if it wasn't really tasty, I didn't like to put it on the supper table, yeah. you know. And so that really went with me into the business. I feel like people deserve a great product. Yeah. I knew that what we were doing was not an okay product. I didn't like it. Why would I think my customers, you know, would enjoy it? And so my husband 
happened to be there that particular morning. And uh, he said, don't no, just let me try something before you take the pretzel off the menu because we had pizza, ice cream and sodas and some snack foods. And I said, well, and I'm done with the pretzel, but if you think you can change the recipe or make it better, go for it. You know, and I went on my way and he went to the store and bought some ingredients and uh, it was an instant success. Really? Absolutely. When he came back with the ingredients, we added them to the recipe. We were standing there by our oven at that point and we began to smell the product. The very smell that you talked about at the beginning yeah. of our conversation <laughs> was that it was like, wow, there's something different here. From that day forward, we absolutely could not make the pretzels fast enough. <laughs> From that day on, it was instant. It really was. From That's that day awesome. on, we had to buy more ovens and we had to get more employees. So your husband and- is the secret ingredient yes, of anti It's revealed here, folks. Little do we know. <laughs> he is the secret ingredient. He's a very, very good man. And I've been with this man for almost 49 years we're married. So... Uh, he's just a great guy. Well, I know that my wife cannot walk by an Auntie Anne's pretzel That's without great. getting one. I mean, she I'm just so can't. She won't that. do it. She can't do it. She won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> happy to hear that. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you this. I think there's some people who would identify with this. You weren't happy with 20 stores. You weren't happy with 40. I mean, there were times no. when you were unhappy and you you, would, you kept growing. Is that part of your DNA of just – because I'm wired similarly in the sense that I always feel like – I'm in competition with my potential. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad the numbers are amazing. And I'm so glad we doubled revenue and I'm so glad. But what was our potential? Are you wired that way? Why go to 2,000 stores? Well, I didn't know I was wired that way. But again, going back to I wanted to do the very best that I could do. I wanted to be the best that I could be. That's my mom and dad always told me that. Yeah. Do it with will. Do it with my things done by halves are never done right. My mom said that every oh, day. That is so good. <laughs> At the very core of me is this, I want to do it the very best that I can. And um, I think that the purpose that Auntie Anne's was created with, the purpose to give, was the driver. And uh, the three things that we didn't have done when we started the business was education, yeah. Or I should say formal education, a capital and business plan. And when I began to make my rounds and I realized, oh, I need these three things. I don't have them. And I began to whine and complain and, you know, feel very frustrated when I was around people that had education. They mm. had plenty of money and they had a business plan. Yeah. So what I began to focus on was the purpose of Indians. Hmm. And what I discovered was I may not have had education, a capital or a business plan, but what I did have was I had a purpose and I had a product and I had great people. Yeah. And I took all of my energy and I put it into the purpose of Auntie Anne. The purpose gave me three things. It gave me the power to overcome any obstacle that I faced. Hmm. The purpose. Yeah. It's what got me up in the morning. When I thought, oh, we did 10 stores, 20 stores, I would say to my husband, but hun, we need to make more money so that we can give more. That was the purpose. And it also gave me a passion for my people, to love them and to care for them and to want to be the best employee that they've ever had. So purpose gave me three things, power to overcome any obstacle, passion for my people. And it also gave me a position of influence, which totally surprised me. But when we understand that we have a purpose, why are we going into business? What's the reason behind it? And if the purpose is bigger than yourself, it's like putting fuel in your car. You know, you can have a beautiful car sitting out in your driveway, but it's not going anywhere until you put the fuel in the car. And after you put the fuel in the car, it'll take you anywhere you want to go. 
And that's the way I see purpose for people. Once you find your purpose, it will take you anywhere that you want to go. Mm. And the purpose, I can't explain it to you, but it truly motivated me when in my darkest times, in my times when I thought I couldn't go any further, the days when I wanted to run the other way and start over news somewhere else, the obstacles of, oh, we need a trainer. Where do we find a trainer? The obstacles of getting a franchise agreement, the UFOC, uh, all the obstacles of building a franchise company. My purpose gave me the power to overcome all of those obstacles. That's the best way I can describe it. If I would not have had the purpose behind it all, I would never have made it to store number 50. Well, and this has been an incredibly inspiring oh. and informative interview. Just like your book, <laughs> the book is Twist of Faith. It came out in 2010. You can get it wherever you buy books. Ann Byler, we're so grateful that you would take time. Well, I'm grateful that you have me on your podcast, and uh, I love to go out and share our stories. So whenever we have opportunity to meet, maybe we can meet somewhere. That would be honored. Maybe we could meet at one of your pretzel shops and share That'd a pretzel. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> great story. Yeah. And I like that she was able to go to the vulnerable stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah. But then also bringing that inspiration of coming forward and sharing that so that other people feel brave enough, I think, to share it with others, ask for help, yeah. and also take steps forward themselves. Yeah. That's great stuff. Well, speaking of great stories, you know, we had Alan Heinberg on a few weeks ago, yep. and he's a storyteller. We've got another really successful storyteller on the show next week. Yeah. But he doesn't tell stories in the traditional way. JJ, he is one of the top country songwriters of all time yes he has 23 number one hits <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of crazy it it's is, insane yeah. it's insane his name is luke laird if yeah. you haven't heard of him you have heard his songs his songs <laughs> yeah. all sorts of stuff on the, pontoon. On the pontoon. He does that. he's gonna actually do that one in the studio <laughs> really? yeah totally oh, but what it. was fascinating to me was uh you know we have friends we live in nashville we have friends who are all, they're all songwriters they're living yeah, yeah. in their mother's basement and they're <laughs> eating out of you know cold pizza and we listen to their stuff and it's really good yeah and none of them ever hit and this guy's hit 23 times yeah and there's something unique about the way his brain works yeah. he's writing for an audience and he understands what the audience wants to yeah. hear and as crazy as it sounds there's overlap between our branding and our communicating to our customers and the way he thinks about how the audience is going to be responding to this song and so yeah. if you want to know what makes a number one songwriter tick We've got a 23-time number one songwriter <laughs> on next week. And anyway, he also brought his guitar, yeah. and he does some songs while he was uh, in the studio. And I asked at one point, don't play a hit. Now play the one that was most healing to your heart that you wrote. Oh, and it was wow. a real special moment. Wow. Interview. You don't get to hear that till next week. Uh, so but anyway, cool. for now, though, here's a little sample of my interview with number one country songwriter Luke Laird. Oh man, it's funny the songs too that, that get a reaction because sometimes you may be sitting there all day just grinding it out, pouring your heart into something and then I'll play it for somebody and I can just see it just go. Right it's like I'm so inside of it. That, yeah. And then other times it's it's just not overthinking it. and like You're just fun. looking for people to have fun, yeah. Yeah, and if you think about, you know, I think about when I was a kid, the music I listened to and what, like, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. Like, the first tape I ever had was Thriller. Yeah. And obviously, 
we've come to know that he was a great artist and those songs have withstood the test of time. But if you look at the lyrics to a lot of that, it may not be, you know, the most thought out, but different things make different songs great, I think. Right. And sometimes not, it is the yeah. lyric first. He's not Leonard Cohen. Right. And it's a totally different thing. And they're both great, but for different reasons. Well, be sure to tune in next week for Luke Laird. Yes. You're going to love it. All right, well, that wraps up another episode of Building a Story Brand. But I do want to remind people, because the last two weeks, we've run a special for the Building a Story Brand book. My book comes out October 10th. It is my first business book, and I think, it personally, one of the best books I've ever written. Not because it's real poetic or anything, but because of what I've seen happening to companies as they understand the Story Brand framework. If you've always wanted to understand the Story Brand framework and want an inexpensive way to do it, get this book. Now, Thomas Nelson ran a special that if you were the first 1,000 people to pre-order the book, they would actually send you a paperback now, and you would get the hardback later. So you get the book months before it actually comes out. Those went so quickly, <laughs> yeah. we've got another 1,000. <laughs> Which is amazing I feel amazing like we're being gimmicky right now. But I know. But they're giving us more. And if you pre-order the book, you can still get a copy because we want everybody to get a copy. And we also want you to promote it when it comes out. There'll be a little card inside the book saying, hey, would you mind tweeting about this and Instagramming and sharing it on Facebook? Please do that because it really helps grow our community, the Building a Story Brand community. But all you have to do to get the book is go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, search for Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Order the book. You pre-order the book. So you're not going to get it until October 10th. You will get a receipt. Forward that receipt to book at storybrand.com. That's book at storybrand.com, and we will drop one of these books in the mail. You will get it months before you get the hardback copy and months before anybody else gets that book. So order the book, Building a Story Brand, and forward your receipt to book at storybrand.com. All right, music from this episode is always by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to eat pretzels. <laughs> <laughs>